In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Earlier this week, we heard that the cost of renting a house has risen at the fastest rate in nine years. It's yet another stark indicator that the housing system is broken. But what can we do about it? Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and this is Reasons Revisited. It's a weekly, fun-sized reason to be cheerful. We dig back into our five-year audio archive and brief you on a big idea that's having a moment. Today we're talking about the housing crisis, specifically in the rental sector, and how to fix it. The cost of renting a home rose by 12% in the year to August, according to new figures released this week. Rents have risen more in the last 12 months than they did in the four years between 2015 and 2019. We're feeling the effects of more than 40 years of housing policy failure. A huge decline in social housing provision has left millions of households living in precarious situations. The recent rise in mortgage rates and a mismatch in the number of properties available to tenants has meant that the rental sector is under extra pressure. One of the solutions proposed is rent control. But is that really the answer? This is the state of things. The private rental sector is big. Around 11 million people or 19% of households are paying rent to a private landlord. We are in a social homes deficit. Since 1991, there's been an annual net loss of 24,000 social homes in England, forcing millions of families into the private rental sector. Many renters are in a precarious situation. According to new statistics from housing charity Shelter, half of working renters are only one paycheck away from losing their home. So how can we address this situation? Is rent control one way we can keep the cost of housing more affordable for tenants? Back in 2017, in our fourth ever episode, we called up Grace, who'd lived in her rent-controlled flat for over 60 years. Here, she tells us why she thinks rent controls are a good idea, and how it's made a difference to her quality of life. Well, I've been living here 60 years, actually. (laughs) Very happy in this flat. So I've kept going, and I've kept uh, up with the rent increases. And then, of course, some years ago, they told us 
there was uh, um, legislation going through whereby people who'd lived in their flats since before 1989 would uh, have a regulated rent uh, and uh, a fixed formula. And that has, of course, proved to be uh, very, very good because before that, the landlords could ask uh, what they liked, really. Well, I mean, it does go up every two years, but the rent is is still manageable. And do you have other neighbours who don't have their rents controlled, and does that make a difference? Do you see the difference with them, or is everybody in your block has a controlled rent? We haven't got many people who've been here since before 89, uh, or, or who are still rent payers. I don't know what other people pay here, but certainly, for instance, the girl next door to me has only been there a year or so, She's doing two jobs to pay the rent. And what, what does it make you think about the whole idea of rent controls? Do you think they're a good idea? I think they're a very good idea. I mean, I believe in Germany it's very regulated, uh, for instance, uh, how much rents can go up. And also uh, obligations are put on the tenants as well uh, by their legislation. Proper regulation with obligations on both sides uh, would be a very good thing. That was Grace, and as she said, she moved into a flat before 1989, at which point rents were deregulated. Could long-term secure tenancies be one answer to the precarity in the rental sector? We spoke to Greg Beals from housing charity Shelter about the ways in which tenants lack basic rights, and how the German example of lifetime tenancies could help address that. We've had this. We've had this rapidly growing sector of private rented um, accommodation. The people who are in it now are a fundamentally different set of people. Shelter ran a survey of some of the people in the private rented sector recently and found that you know one in five of those families with children living in the private rented sector has moved three times in the last three years. So people have no security at the moment. They have absolutely you no. You can be security. thrown out six sort of months. Six, six months. months. They've absolutely and then two months no notice. Is that right? Yeah. So absolutely no security now. In a, all other European countries, people have in excess of a year as a minimum, but, but in excess of a year. In Germany, there are lifetime tenancies. The biggest, to our mind, and most radical change that you could make, significantly increasing those tenancies. And obviously, at the same time, you have to put in place protections so that you, people can't just jack the rent up on an annual basis. Because if you just put the rent up, you can, you know, if you double the rent one year, you're, you effectively you're evicting someone without... Uh, cause so you have some protections around putting the rent up as well but you give people the ability for their home to be their home am i right in saying that there's a distinction between controlling the increases in rent which shelter supports and if you like sort of setting the level which you're more sceptical about. Is that the right distinction? Some people do make that distinction. What you're looking to do with these controls and protections is give people the kind of power that they have in many other markets. Uh, let, let me just give you one example. I mean, most people would say that the a fundamental principle of a good society is a job and a home. But when it comes to the labour market, it is a labour market. People have basic protections that make sure that they aren't put at great disadvantage by the power imbalances. A, a woman who's eight months pregnant in the private rented sector can be evicted. We've seen at Shelter families with one-month-old children evicted from their homes. Those are basic protections that need to be put in place. And you can do it in a number of different ways, but the system as it exists at the moment is fundamentally broken. Still to come. Is there a compelling argument that rent control is the answer to unchecked rent rises? But before that, we hear about what's going on in Vienna. 
It's long been ranked as one of the most livable cities in the world. We spoke to Maria Vasilaku, the former deputy mayor of the city, who told us about Vienna's highly successful approach to social housing. Well, if there is a DNA of cities, I would say that social housing corresponds 100% to Vienna's DNA. It is part of the city's history for a century now. And I'll just give you one figure. 62% of the Viennese already lived in either public housing units or social housing units. Affordability lies at the heart of almost everything we do in Vienna politically. And and do you think that's really a big part of the puzzle as, as to why Vienna has managed to steer clear of the housing crises that we see in so many cities here in the UK, but also, you know, th- throughout Europe and beyond? Sure enough, it is. And I think also that it is uh, most probably the key factor why Vienna has managed uh, to reach the top of livability rankings. Social housing in Vienna is not directed towards low-income families solely, but it is actually directed towards everybody, practically you know, middle class. I would say even upper middle class will be included in the framework uh, because the, the entry income limits are very high. The height of the rent should always be the result of the costs for construction and land. So if you have people who still can't afford it, although it is highly affordable, then you have to give them individual grants so that they can afford. And this is also one of the reasons, of the many reasons, why it is not attached to this typical stigma that it has, you know, in other parts of the world. So it is actually a policy that is once again addressing everybody practically, and it is combined with very high quality. Just to give you an example, in many cases, we will even have swimming pools on the rooftops of social housing projects. Um, so, So it is a highly successful concept, and it is, it is also beloved by the people. Has, has there ever been in Vienna this thing that we've seen in the here in the UK where what was social housing stock has been sold into private hands? No, this is not a factor. I would say what is public housing, these are units that are owned by the city itself, has remained public housing ever since. And when it comes to the so-called social housing, it is owned by limited profit housing corporations that are owned mostly by unions. Even the city owns several of them or is at least partially owner of several of them. That was Maria Vasilaku last year explaining how Vienna's high quality social housing isn't just for those on the lowest incomes, but it's an option for almost everyone. There are strict laws dictating how much rent is allowed to increase each year, and housing is highly subsidised for many people. Could adopting a similar approach here help create a rental sector that gives tenants a decent, secure and affordable place to live? This Viennese model, with social housing combined with high levels of protection against rent rises and evictions, means that 60% of its population lives in subsidised housing. For comparison, what's that number in London? 20%. Now, one of the main criticisms levelled at conventional rent control, where the rent is set rather than increases controlled, is that it can lead landlords to stop maintaining their properties or mean that they're more likely to sell up, 
reducing the housing supply even further. And we need a genuinely affordable alternative to the private rental sector. Housing charity Shelter's answer, 90,000 social houses should be built every year. Social housing is the only type of housing where rents are linked to local incomes and rent increases are capped. So where does this go next? Of course, we can't just directly transpose the Viennese model onto UK cities, but we can learn from it. And change is on the horizon, albeit far away. The government's working to improve renters' rights with a bill that's currently making its way through Parliament. It seeks to scrap Section 21 no-fault evictions and bring in more secure tenancy agreements. Although we don't know yet when that legislation will come into force. And you can't ignore that huge work is still needed to redress the social housing deficit, which is at the heart of the housing emergency. Three reasons revisited nuggets to take away. One. Rents have increased at record rates over the last year, fuelled by landlords passing on mortgage rate rises and fewer available rental properties in the market. Two, more households have been forced into private rental properties due to the lack of social housing available. Councils just haven't been able to rebuild social homes at the rate they were sold off during the right-to-buy era. Three, we might not be able to cut and paste approaches to social housing which redress the balance of power between landlords and tenants and provide affordable, high-quality housing like the one seen in Vienna. But it's something to aspire to. I'll be back with Ed on Monday for a brand new episode of Reasons to be Cheerful. We would love to hear from you. Find us on social media or through our website, cheerfulpodcast.com. I'm Jeff Lloyd, and written and produced by Rachel Barmer, this has been Reasons Revisited. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.